0: Welcome to the Lutheran Ladies Lounge Podcast. I'm Sarah. I'm Erin. I'm Brie. And I'm Rachel. I am so excited today, guys. Mm. Like, this is even better than a Him Sing with Sarah episode. This is how exciting this is today. We have a new another new segment because it's 2021 and we're just pulling out all the new segments this year, apparently. New segment today: Adventures in Lutheranism, and it is just as exciting as it sounds. We have joining us today also a guest, one of my favorite people, Emmy Wook, who is Director of Parish Music at Redeemer Lutheran Church in Elmhurst, Illinois. We'll get to you in a second, Emmy, because you're here for a really good episode. Rachel, tell us about Adventures in Lutheranism and what we're going to be talking about today that is why I'm so excited.
1: Okay, so all of us, for the most part, are either lifelong Lutherans or have been Lutheran for a really long time, and we know Lutheran. But... For all of us, there are some gaps in our knowledge. There are still things to learn, still things to experience and encounter. So every once in a while, we are going to get out of our comfort zone. I know! (laughs) so un-Lutheran. But get out of our comfort zone and learn about some aspect of our Lutheran faith and heritage that maybe uh, some of us are familiar with, but not all of us are familiar with. And so that's what Adventures in Lutheranism is all about, is encountering something new, but that's not new, that we totally should have encountered before now and we haven't. So the subject for today's adventure in Lutheranism is the Easter Vigil, and I wish you all could see Sarah's face right now. You can hear her squeal. She's very excited <laughs> because she is an Easter Vigil enthusiast, and guess who else is? Our guest, Emmy. Yes. Easter Vigil enthusiast and very knowledgeable on the subject. So we're so glad that you're here to join us today. Emmy. Emmy. Glad to be here with you.
0: <laughs> yay, Vigil. So, yay, vigil. It's coming. I know it's coming. This podcast will actually drop on Good Friday, so it's tomorrow. <laughs> yes, that's weird, but awesome at the same time. <laughs> so, Emmy, oh, where do we even begin? What Tell is us... the Easter Vigil? That's where yes, we begin the Easter we Vigil. May not
2: know. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's the best service of the entire year, and yeah. uh, it's yeah, it is the best service of the entire year and it's a very long service and it starts in darkness with a fire and it goes through all of the readings um, from creation all the way, basically the whole story of salvation in one single service. Um, and so it's, in my experience, one of the few places where you hear the, the um, story from the fall to redemption in one continuous sitting.
1: Now, when does this service traditionally take place? Sundown.
2: And so at my congregation, we take it very literally. And so sometimes it starts at 723 or when we look and whenever whenever sundown is and it moves around year to year. And Sarah can attest to this because she's been a part of the vigil there a couple of times. And so it the service time moves around, which is one of the ways that it piqued the interest of our members because... Uh, the first couple times we did it, they thought it was perhaps a typo in the bulletin that we were starting a service <laughs> at this bizarre time. But, um, no, traditionally at sundown, not every congregation will do it right at sundown or, you know, do all of the readings and, and that's fine. But at my congregation, that's how they chose to do it. And I'm thankful. So it's the right
3: Saturday there. before Easter. The Saturday before Easter. Yes. Okay.
1: Yeah. Now, I think I remember experiencing one where it started at like 11 o'clock at night. So that it got that it was timed in just such a way so that ideally at midnight, you'd be celebrating the resurrection. So I think there's some maybe some flexibility there. Now, you say you have all the readings, all the story of salvation in here. What are the songs that are involved? Were there high points in the service? And what is it that makes this what beyond that makes this such a unique experience?
2: Um, sure. So let's maybe start by talking about just the readings because there's so, so many moving parts in this service. So there are 12 readings in the altar book um, that you can use for the vigil. Now, not all congregations will use all 12. We have not used all 12. I keep advocating for it. We keep adding readings. We're not there yet to all 12. Um <laughs> But you can choose. And so for, for now, uh, my congregation u- usually does about seven of the readings, seven to nine of the readings. And then I work with the pastor and he changes them from year to year. Um, there are a couple readings that are the same, regardless of which other readings you select. And that would be creation, and then the flood, and then Israel's deliverance from the Red Sea. If you have only four readings, then the fourth one is always the fiery furnace. But yeah. at Redeemer, we've always done seven. And so we've included those four and then others in addition. And the other ones tend to change for us um, just because we don't do all 12. Um, it's already a pretty long service as it is. I would love to have all 12 readings and just sit in church all, you know, from Saturday until Easter Sunday. But I'm also not normal because
3: I'm just not. <laughs> <laughs> so- we love you, Emmy. What, what is the significance of those, the readings that are chosen?
2: Um, yeah. So like I said, if you, if you go through and I should have thought ahead of time to, uh, print out a copy, I am not in my office, which is still (laughs) needing to be unpacked. And so all of my resources are currently in boxes. But if you look in the altar book again, like, you know, you start with, um, with, uh, creation and it, you know, it's, it's the whole story of Genesis. So creation all the way to the fall. So basically, you know, it starts with, you know, here's how the world was created and then Mm -hmm. we fell into sin. And so, um, Now we're in trouble and we need rescuing. And so it kind of shows um, from the the very beginning of the reading why we're in Holy Week to begin with, and then shows um, different stories in the Old Testaments of how the Lord rescues his people. And it just, you know, continues all the way through the readings. And then um, eventually you end up with the Easter gospel message Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. communion and the lights go on. And it's just, it's wonderful. So it's this darkness to light. It's just visual and all the things.
3: Wow, this is a twenty-page bulletin. That is, uh-huh. and that's <laughs> that short. Is, there's there. short. There's only four readings in that one. Yeah, I wish. When you say there's readings, there's that's like no joke. Because like what in I think it's Good Friday where they they do like the final words of Jesus, and it's like what that's like seven readings, and I'm like twelve. I mean, what is that's nothing. But okay, yes, like we're reading. Paragraphs upon paragraphs, which is, <laughs> which is lovely. I think that's great, but it's not. It's a lot. Mm-hmm.
4: It is a lot.
1: Let's, uh, because I like words, and we haven't defined this one yet. What is a vigil for the people who aren't familiar?
4: Isn't it like keeping watch? I feel like that's a vigil. You keep watch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, you're you're waiting,
0: and this comes from you know historic church traditions of keeping the watch overnight from Holy Saturday to Easter morning. So like way, 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 way back in church history, like second, third, fourth, fifth century, they would literally have a service the whole night to stay up and keep watch and keep the vigil. And Orthodox traditions still do this. You can, I don't remember if it was last year or the year before, uh, with the magic of Facebook live, I watched a Russian Orthodox Easter vigil service that was actually happening overnight and it was wow. amazing. So this still, I mean, it legit still happens. Probably mm. not in our Lutheran traditions. I don't know of any Lutheran church, at least in America, that does an actual legit like overnight Easter vigil we should start on. one. We should totally do it. I would be <laughs> on board, on board. But yeah, I think that that tradition has kind of come into our Lutheran circles where we have this, the Easter vigil that is at sundown and then some churches will do an Easter sunrise service. Either alongside of it or in place of the vigil to kind of give right. that same like darkness yeah. into light theme.
1: Easter sunrise services, I think, are very familiar. Um, yes. I, mm. I definitely grew up with those. I did not grow up with the Easter vigil. I always thought that Saturday was your one day off. That's what I was like during Holy Week. <laughs> <Year. laughs> Jesus rested and so do we. Um, right. Until <laughs> <laughs> vigil. My mom, who was not raised Lutheran, has more than once called Holy Week camp meeting for Lutherans um, because we're just in church so much. And I was not aware that there, you know, when I was younger that there was a church service that was intended for Holy Saturday. And then I fell in love with a seminarian and my goodness, the things you learn. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So that was my experience. You know, Easter Saturday is for dying eggs and uh, baking things that will be served the next morning. But obviously, Emmy and Sarah, you guys both had really life-changing encounters with the Easter vigil at some point. Tell us about your your experience with this and how you came to love it so much. Um, sure. So my dad is an
2: organist and my mom's a choir director. So they actually did a very simple vigil at my congregation that I never went to. Um, my dad's the organist. My mom's the choir director. We had to go to all the services and extra rehearsals. And my mom had three young children. And so dad would go play the service. And we, that was the one service during Holy Week that we stayed home for. And my mom just always said, you know, not, ma- not many people come to it. And we have all these other services. And, you know, I don't in any way, you know, hold that against her goodness gracious. She was, you know, raising three children and in charge of the choirs and the brass groups. And, you know, we were, we were living at church that week. And so I was aware that there was this thing called a vigil, but I had no clue what it was or what was in it or how my congregation did it or how that compared to other Lutheran congregations or, you know, did other Lutheran congregations do this service? I really had no idea. So I was familiar with the idea of a service on Saturday, but that was really, that was really it. And then, when I was at Concordia Chicago, vigil came up in a number of my church music classes, and so then we started talking about it more. And there were a number of people on campus that were familiar with it and really liked the service. And so then I remember one year, um, one of my professors, um, who went every year to one of the downtown Episcopal churches that did a vigil. You know, always said, you know, if anyone wants to come join me, you know, you're welcome to come. And so I thought, well, I'm, I'm curious. My interest was peaked. so I'm going to just go. And I know there's a communion aspect to this service, but I don't have to participate in that. I can just sit in the back and just see what this service is all about. And, um, I did, and it totally changed my life, literally, um, I went in part because it was, well, it was at Ascension, um, the Church of the Ascension, right downtown Chicago. And the organist there was David Schrader. And at the time, he was my favorite organist in the whole world. And I went to every concert I could. And so, <laughs> hey, you know, I get to hear him him play. And I knew he did this big improvisation halfway through the service. And I'd heard many good things about it. And so I wanted to hear that. And so I went and, you know, you, you enter the church and it's dark and it was full. I mean, they have a lot of people attend this vigil. And so I just remember sitting in the back of the this dark church and it's this big old church right downtown, just very ornate and just there was just something so wonderful about being there. And every single reading was chanted. They didn't even read the readings. They chanted every yes, the they did. And I just I was sitting there. That is amazing. I was sitting there like, okay, is is this, you know, did Jesus come back and I missed it because I'm in heaven or what? Because it was <laughs> I mean <laughs> it was, it was unbelievable. <laughs> and they have the incense going, you know, the smoke is so thick I and mean, you just, it, yes. it, you know, the fire, the incense, it's just, you know, every sense is engaged and, and you're hearing these readings in this dark church. And I, I think for me, you know, the, none of, none of the readings were readings that I hadn't encountered at some point, but to hear them all put together one after another mm-hmm suddenly it was just it was a different perspective and again it was nothing new it wasn't oh I, d- I didn't know this reading or I didn't know how this connects but just to hear all the way through it was like oh that's I get it now we're, we're Holy Week and Easter and aha you know and and so all of these readings were chanted and you know up up until that point you know there's no organ everything's silenced and you know Um, So you have all the readings and some Psalms and just very, very simple. And then after all of the readings are done and the lights were thrown on and the organ, you know, all the stops out and, and David Schrader. Wait,
4: okay. Hang on a second. When, where's the fire in this? Didn't she say it starts with fire? fire? Yes.
2: Um, So it's at the the very beginning.
4: Oh, fire's at the the beginning. beginning. Mm
2: -hmm. Okay. And some churches might do it in the narthex and some might do it outside and, so that part can
4: look a little... It depends big. on how big your fire yes, is.
2: Yes, <laughs> yes, Um It does. <laughs> yeah. but, that, but that's that's at the start of the service, you know, and they light the Paschal candle from the new fire and, and enter into the church. And, okay. and But other than that, you know, it's, it's dark. Okay. And so then after all the readings and the lights are on and they dress the altar, you know, which up until this point is bare and, you know, the incense is going and, you know, there's so much activity up in the chancel because they're putting out you know, the flowers and the pyramids and just completely dressing the chancel and the organ is just wailing away in the back. And I'm just I mean, I, I think whoever was sitting around me probably thought, you know, I was crazy. Um, because I just it was I have never experienced anything like that. And pretty much at that point decided that, you know, we need more of this in our Lutheran congregations. Like <laughs> You know what a shame that we we don't have more of this, and you know of course some congregations do and whatnot, but in, in some ways I felt like I had been gypped as a child because I didn't experience this, <laughs> you know, and, and here and here here I had um, had this experience, and so then I went again the following year. And then I graduated and continued my studies at Notre Dame. And um, that degree was a Master of Sacred Music. And so I was taking a lot of theology classes as well as a lot of church music classes. And so again, the vigil came up in, in those classes um, in different contexts. And you know, this idea of, you know, Christians gathering on Holy Saturday um, to vigil and waiting for the Lord to return. And then if he didn't return, then you had communion and you know, so he was still there in your midst. And and then it was Easter and and, and all of this. And so When I was, um, my first year at Notre Dame, we all had, as an organist, we all had different placements. And so I, that year was not at a Lutheran congregation. And so there was a small Lutheran congregation, the next town over that did a vigil. And so, because I had to play Easter at a non-Lutheran church that year, I elected to go to vigil so that I could have communion and experience, you know, a little piece of Easter with my Lutheran brothers and sisters. And so this was a tiny little town, um, near Notre Dame and their fire was out in the parking lot and it was a bonfire. I mean, it was in the middle of nowhere, Indiana. So this is huge, huge fire. Um, (laughs) and so that was my first experience with Lutheran vigil and, you know, same thing. It was, it was a little bit more simplistic in terms of the music and things just because it was a smaller parish, but they did all of the readings. And I remember seeing so many children there because at this particular congregation, the vigil is a longstanding tradition. And so it was, You know, full of children, and it was very obvious to me that these children were very familiar with how this service runs and and what's in it, and and Hmm. some of them had various roles, and so it was really wonderful to experience a service then in a Lutheran context and to be able to participate in communion. You know, when I went to Church of Ascension, I was there just more as an observer, and so then to participate fully in this LCMS congregation, I pretty much decided that any church that I serve at either needs to have a vigil or I will advocate strongly to introduce one because it's just such a wonderful service.
0: Yes. And you're talking about that part of the service that switches from from this darkness into light. And I, I still remember the first time that we did that at Redeemer. It was shortly after you had started mm-hmm. it at Redeemer and experiencing that for the first time, I think I probably wept. (laughs) It's just, it's this experience that like none, and I don't always use the word experience with church because of connotations and everything. However, being in a darkened church and hearing the story of salvation and going through all of these, these readings and these canticles, talking about what Christ has done, and then you get this moment, like you were talking about, the lights come on uh, you can say the, the, the A word that we've been avoiding for the last five weeks. The bells are ringing. The altar gets redressed. It is this – this this. it's almost a visceral moment where you're like, oh, it is Easter now. Let's go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it's it's this whole other level of experience and and feeling yeah. that, that Easter that's happening and that, that feeling of joy that you get is yeah. just like a little mind-blowing. Yeah, well, and I can guys. say too, I mean, as an organist, I
2: have, you know – experience this now many, many times, and it never gets old ever, you know, and at Redeemer, the way we have done it is we do a handbell peel. So I find um, volunteers who just do random ringing while they're dressing the altar. And then I do uh, more of a simplified organ fanfare because I'm not David Schrader and you know I cannot improvise. Him. I wish I could, but I, I have not been blessed with those gifts. And so I do this, this fanfare that has been precomposed, and then and then it ends on the starting note, and and the pastor then, you know, chants glory to God and the highest of peace to his people on earth, and I just, you know, push, push the button that lets the organ just sing out, and, you know, we sing the Gloria, and it's, there have been many vigils where I am thankful that I have played that Gloria so many times because I get so teary, I can't see the music on the page, and this is, right, this is something that I play every single Sunday, but somehow it's it's just so special on on the night of vigil.
0: Yes. Yes. So talking about the music, we have readings, but those readings are interspersed with canticles. Can you talk about a couple of the canticles, at least the ones that, that tend to happen every year, the ones that maybe are more familiar to people? Yes.
2: So in the back of LSB, which of course I have right here, in the biblical canticle sections, there are a couple of canticles that are um, specifically for certain readings. So, for example, um, in LSB, it's number nine twenty-five. I will sing to the Lord, for He has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider, He has thrown into the sea. And yeah, I see Sarah getting excited.
0: I love that one. It's my favorite. <laughs> Me too.
2: Um, and, so, and so we we have used this one every year. And so so there there's a couple of canticles in the back that that fit with uh, Sarah. Do you have a hymnal too? There, of course, you do.
0: I do. Yes. <laughs> I thought you were I thought you I were flipping
2: through a hymnal there. I'm like,
0: Oh no, I have my um, my propers of the okay. day because I'm looking up the collect because I also want to touch on that. Yeah, go
2: ahead. Um, yeah, so so at our <laughs> congregation, and again, you know, it depends on your congregation's tradition. It depends on what's available in terms of you know, do you have a choir to participate? Do you have cantors to participate? If it's the first time you've done vigil and you don't have a choir, it might be more simple, you know, with the music at Redeemer. The very first time we did it, we introduced the canticles in LSB, and then. Some readings didn't have music afterwards. It just was the reading and the collect. And that was okay because we, we decided um, when, I, when I talked to the pastor and I talked to the people who were helping with that service, we decided that it was better to be simple, done well, than to try and do it all when it was new to me and the pastor and the elders, you know, everybody. And so we kind of added things every year. And so by the time I think Sarah left, I think we had gotten to the point where we either had a canticle or a psalm either chanted or some setting of the appointed psalm for that reading um, interspersed. So it was a reading, a collect, some musical response, and then just cycling through that. Um, but I think that's one of the things I love about Vigil is it it's very structured, but there's a lot of flexibility so that congregations can adapt it for their size and for what they have in terms of, you know, do they have a bell choir? Do they have cantors? Do they have a pasture that chants? Do you know it's very flexible in that way so that you can make it work for whatever forces you have available. And the canticles in LSD yeah, are great.
0: Yeah. And they're they're very accessible too. I think the the song of moses that i will sing to the lord that one is is a very simple structure that that a lot of people are probably familiar with it has the refrain and then it's just a chanted with with a psalm tone uh the rest of that psalm and it it's it's simple but man it gets stuck in your head and every time that those lines are referenced anywhere throughout the church year. This is what comes into my head, and I just, I, I just start singing it because it's just so catchy. And the I other one, um,
3: <laughs> yes,
0: the other one is um, "All you works of God, bless mm-hmm. the Lord." I think that's the other super common yep. one that that comes up. That one's in LSB 930. But there's other like chanted ways to do that one too. But yeah. Well for that one there's nine
2: thirty 930 or nine thirty-one. Um, either of those work. Oh yeah. And so, you know, there again, that's that's that example of having some flexibility
0: built in so that um, congregations can do what works best for them in their situation.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: And we usually have our children's choir actually is the one that leads those canticles because they're they're simple. Um, they're able to to pull in the, the children's choir, and that way we get the children's choir families at vigil too, because their kids are singing. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> Strategy got
2: a little it's true. In- so at Redeemer, we often early on when we were doing this, not so much in recent years, but this was if we had new members, we had new members mm-hmm. at this service, and that was when they were formally either confirmed or joined the church if they had already been confirmed and they're transferring. And so, so that got them all here. But then also of course, Lent historically was a season for catechesis. And so then to two years, we've even had a baptism, which was fantastic. So to have a cool. baptism, um, cause there's either a baptism, um, or on the years we don't have a baptism, we do a remembrance of baptism and that's all part of the service. Um, but to have a baptism or a confirmation or introduction of new members is Uh, really, really wonderful to include in this service.
0: Relating to the the baptism remembrance that happens, we have uh, the flood prayer that happens every year during this, which is like quite possibly one of the best prayers that we get to pray during the church year. It's Luther's flood prayer, and it's amazing. So we were talking strategy Mm -hmm. in
1: terms of getting families there by their children singing in the choir. And I think one of the biggest obstacles that many people would face in starting a vigil. If we're going to you know, segue a little bit here and talk about how to do your own Easter vigil and be sitting in the pews weeping and dancing and uh, <laughs> experiencing what Emmy and Sarah have enjoyed so much. But why? Why should people give up their Easter Saturday nights to come into church for what you have already admitted is an extremely long but service. But it doesn't feel long. It doesn't feel long because it's so it great. So, but but beyond the beyond the it's just a great service. You should do it. <laughs> what is what is the reason? What are we missing if we don't offer a vigil from our churches?
2: For me, it's just this continuation, right? You're in church on Thursday and then good friday and then vigil it's it's really you can view it all as one service and so mm-hmm. so if you aren't coming to vigil in a way it's like you left after the sermon <laughs> and you know and so <laughs> i want you there for the whole service and and it, it's been interesting for me as i listen to parishioners or especially as i talk to the children who have had similar experiences that i did with my first vigil you know where they say you know i i knew all these readings but i just it it made sense in a different way. I I saw something different. I connected in a different way. And so um, I think there's value in that. And as I have experienced more and more vigils and more and more cycles through the church year, right? Good Friday, we end with our Lord in the tomb. And as he's laying in the tomb, what better place for us as Christians to be than gathered in his house, hearing his word, I can't think of a better place to be.
1: (laughs) I love that you mentioned that because I often have thought that Holy Saturday doesn't get enough attention Mm -hmm. from us that, you know, we see it as, as soon as Good Friday's over, all right, Easter's coming. But for the disciples, they didn't know Easter was coming. Holy Saturday was for them the most despondent (laughs) day in all of (laughs) creation, that all they had were, you know, the stories that you have have mentioned as being part of these Easter Vigil readings, that they had story after story after story from Scripture telling them, this is how God does. This is how God saves. He brings life. He redeems his people. He, you know, he pulls them through the Red Sea. He pulls them out of the fiery furnace. And so I wonder if the disciples would have, you know, sat in that upper room keeping watch wondering what's next and hoping 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 that what they had seen on friday wasn't mm-hmm. the end and i think that that what you've told me about the easter vigil service sort of pays honor to that experience of knowing that we can look we have the benefit of looking forward to easter but we can look yeah. back as well and see the same story from the first moment of creation mm-hmm. all the mm-hmm. way through and that i think is good and also what you mentioned about you know, Good Friday. That the vigil seems to be a service where Good Friday and Easter Sunday bump yep. heads. Yeah, they intersect. It's this major collision
4: mm-hmm. uh, that just so, explodes in light. <laughs> yeah, that's my question, though. The way that you've been sort of described it, I get the sense that you would you would not agree with it. But this is my thinking as I'm hearing <laughs> I it described. Think I know where you're going. It sounds like it's gonna like it's gonna blunt the the joy of easter morning like you're jumping the gun it's saturday <laughs> he has not he has not risen yet he is still in the tomb and you've already started celebrating and so like there isn't the sharp contrast i guess that that i'm used to because i've never had i've never experienced an easter vigil i'm very curious i'll seek one out but like the sharp contrast of you know the the darkness and the strepitus, and uh, you leave the church in silence on Good Friday, and then Easter Sunday morning when it's all light and joy. How how does this not diminish that? I I get the, I can tell that you don't think it does, but why why doesn't this diminish it? Why doesn't yeah? This and and it's gun? interesting
2: that that you raise these points because that was the biggest pushback that we had at Redeemer <laughs> when trying to introduce this service. And so it, it came up a lot. Uh-huh. Like, well, no, then, uh-huh. then Easter isn't Easter. Uh-huh. And so, you know, then you explain, well, you know, of course, historically, this service would have connected, right? It would have been all night long, but nobody wants to stay in church all night. So we're, we're bumping it early, you know, and then we come back in the morning. But it, it's one of these things where Easter joy is so great, you know, you go through all of these stories, and then when it's when it's light and it's it's late at night, any more than Christmas Eve. You know, you have service on Christmas Eve and Christmas mm. Day. And does one take away from the other, or are they are they sure. no. wonderful in different ways? And you know, th- the light uh-huh. at Easter Vigil in the evening is different than the light in the morning when the sun is streaming through the windows. So there 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 are differences, mm. certainly.
1: My husband, and I, I don't know where he got this, but I assume because he's a pastor and a chaplain, he knows what he's talking about. <laughs> he likes to point out that, you know, in Genesis, when it tells the days, it says, and there was evening and there was morning, that in this Hebrew reckoning, the day starts at yep. sundown. And that, that I think is is some of the inspiration for the for the vigil. And the argument goes, if it was the new day, why would Jesus stay in the tomb one minute longer than was necessary to fulfill all righteousness? Like I said, I know that my husband knows what he's talking about. I sometimes cock my head a little bit and go, "Really? <laughs> I don't. I, I don't know if I go there." And I don't. So I, I, you know, Scripture doesn't say we know what the accounts give us, but there's a there's this sort of logic behind it. And I go back and forth on Easter vigil myself. I think it's a beautiful service, but I I am team sunrise service myself. Mm. And for me that's where the high point of my Easter celebration is is that that early morning women at the tomb moment. And but, this is why we should have all night vigils because then there would be no disruption. Yes. <laughs> yes. yes. See, I'm as we've been talking, I've been thinking to myself, wouldn't it be cool? You know how churches to get together for like Reformation services and Traorius services, you know, if there's like 10 Lutheran churches in the metro area and they'll all come. To, why not have an all night vigil and they all chip in and you don't have to say for the whole thing, but you can come and go. I feel like some teenagers who are missing lock-ins would really, really go Lock-in. for this. Recumenical <laughs> sleepover.
3: Yes. <laughs>
1: Uh, fire up that like 100 cup coffee maker right there's already a
4: bonfire yes Uh, yes so that's actually one more question i have just practically speaking how does your pastor survive if you are already doing thursday Friday, possibly multiple services on Friday if you do a if you do a treori and a Tenebrae. and I don't know, maybe there's others. Those are the only two fancy words I know. For <laughs> a good Friday, um, and then you, and then if you've got Easter sunrise, and then probably more than one main Easter service if you're a church of any size, then how does your pastor survive? Um,
2: yeah, so that? we don't do an Easter sunrise; we just do the vigil.
0: Okay. Yeah, <laughs> we don't either.
2: And okay. for our vi- for our vigil, we do join with other churches. So, well, last year was COVID, so it was all weird. But the year before mm. that, I think we had Ugh. seven clergy there, and they all took turns with the readings. And, okay. and and then you know, too, because it's a smaller service, we have people from other congregations are invited to come participate at sure. you know, wherever. That's awesome.
4: And that allows then choirs as well. Like they don't necessarily have to all learn everything. They could learn their their piece that they're going to take. The yeah, it just
2: on. I think it gives more um, flexibility. I mean, options. and of course, you know, I'm in a suburb of Chicago, and okay. so we have you know churches that are close enough where people can come. You know, there might be places where it would be more difficult to do right. a service with other congregations if if it's more spread out. But mm-hmm. for our congregation, it's. I don't think it's – I mean, yes, my pastor is very tired on Easter Monday and takes some
4: well-deserved
0: time off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Pastor vacation. Uh-huh. So Easter here's an, here's. Well, an But idea. I mean, the, the
4: trade-off of the sunrise, like yeah. that – to me, that there's a logic there. Mm-hmm. Um, so. And I think
0: – yeah. Okay. And not all the readings okay. happen by pastor either. Um, like even mm-hmm. – uh, I, I was one of the readers at Redeemer the first couple of years. Uh, they pulled – people to read all of that. So Pastor isn't reading all of them. I think our our vicar and our field workers will will read them at, at my church now. So Pastor isn't doing like the entire service. And some other yep. people will do some of the chanting and, and there's there's lots of people to pitch in so pastor isn't in my charge of, of the entire thing this year. Yeah. Woo-hoo! So you get your experience in. I'm so yep. excited for you right now. Be <laughs>
1: so here's here's an idea. You put all the services on the calendar. Like Monday, Thursday, your Tenebrae, your Traore, you know, I got those backwards. Traore, then Tenebrae, your Easter Vigil, make it good and long, your Easter Sunrise, your Easter Festival, and then, at the end of the last service, you hand your pastor and his wife a ticket for a two-week cruise. <laughs> and say, we'll I'm see you board. back here on Misericordious Domini." well done.
0: Oh. <laughs> there you go. go.
3: I'm
0: yes. Okay with that. Week uh, off. Yes. <laughs>
3: I like that. Let's write that down. Move that into the bylaws.
0: And Erin, I wanted to answer your question a little bit about whether Vigil takes away from Easter. Yeah,
4: what's your opinion? What's your experience? Yeah, so
0: I actually grew up with Sunrise Service, too, and I'm pretty sure we had – Easter vigil when I was a kid I remember at some point that my church was doing a vigil and we just didn't go it wasn't part of our tradition but we were there for Easter sunrise like that was our thing and one of my favorite memories is is the light from the spotlights coming through the palm branches in the front of the church and like that was Easter for me right there but then sometime in college we got exposed to it somewhere I don't remember where and we went out to uh, St. John Wheaton they had a massive bonfire and when we experienced it there we were like oh this is a cool thing so then when emmy started it after we started going to redeemer it's that you get extra easter joy and then when you when you start celebrating easter on saturday when you come to sunday because you've already you've already made that transition there's even more joy that that you can put into all of the hymns and things because you're already in this easter mindset and you're even more filled with the, the scriptures and the, and the readings and on all of those things, because you've had, you started your celebration early <laughs> and having that actually seeing, physically seeing that transition from Tenebrae on, on Friday night to Sunday morning, I think is, is an extra piece of, of Holy week that we miss out on if, if we don't go to, to vigil because Yes, you go to Good Friday and you it's it's somber and you get all of this Christ is in the tomb and he's there for us. You come on Sunday and he's risen. But we don't get that middle part of of that transition of when mm-hmm. of when it actually happens. And I think adding that into the experience of Holy Week, it just adds another extra thing to meditate on and especially for families with kids, there is a ton of teaching moments in that vigil service because of everything that it covers, all of the liturgy, the canticles, the blessing of the Paschal candle at the beginning. I mean, there's teaching moments through there. The baptismal remembrance, there's so much that kids and families can learn. I mean, you can bring that bulletin home and use it for your family devotions for a week or two because of all of the things that are are just jam-packed into that service. Hmm. So,
1: Brie, you mentioned that Matt is preaching for Easter Vigil this year. Has he told you anything about what he's got planned? How does one, uh, does one preach that sermon? He's
3: using Zephaniah, so passage from Zephaniah, as All the right. basis for it. I'm, so, I'm
1: there. I would I would welcome that.
3: I've read it. I've read the sermon. It's, it's a good one. I'm biased, but also Matt is a very good sermon writer. And it will bless a lot of people. And not because of him, but... Because of how God uses him. Mm-hmm. Make make no mistake about that. Yep. So I want to talk just a little bit more about how you would describe
4: this. Because I sometimes get, I, I struggle with like the right adjectives to use to describe things that I absolutely love. So for example, Holy Week services. Uh Sometimes I'm like, there's like this, there's like a theatrical component to it. It's far more experiential. There's there's all sorts of drama and it it that doesn't usually fit with how we talk about our worship services. But are there other words that you would use to describe it if for example you were going to start plotting how to make a hmm. case?
1: If you were to put together an elevator pitch for your yeah, builders, yeah. What are the adjectives and other descriptors that would go into, like, your two sentence you
4: elevator pitch for, East, for starting Easter vigil? This doesn't feel that's right to me at, at all, me, I feel I'm a music right person
2: now. and not a words person. I'm sorry. <laughs> Just kick the marketing person no, out. No, no. Um, but let me think about it. Like, I could probably come up with something if I had time to think about it. <laughs> Like at my know. congregation, when I accepted the call, this was already something that they were going to do because this this was part of, as, as I was deliberating the call, one of the questions, you know how it goes, you know, the, the questions go mm-hmm. both ways. And the question I had for the congregation was, do you have a vigil? And the answer was no. And then the next question was, well, how open are you to having a vigil because it's such a huge part of Holy Week. And of course, I will serve where I'm called. But um, if I'm going to take a call here, that's going to be one of my first priorities is to <laughs> introduce a vigil to this congregation. And so that there were a lot of conversations about the vigil as I was deliberating that call. And so it was already decided to introduce one before I officially mm-hmm. accepted. But thinking back, that was such a long time ago, how those conversations unfolded and what all was discussed specifically, I'm not certain. <laughs>
1: Well, maybe I can I can phrase the question a little bit more generally, and that is for people who have not encountered an Easter vigil before, but who are listening to us today and going, yeah, that would really add to our church's Holy Week. What advice, what do's and don'ts and encouragement would you give people who are interested in uh, perhaps starting an Easter vigil at their own church? I would say reach out to Lutheran pastors or musicians who currently have a
2: vigil. This is one thing that I did. I emailed probably 10 pastors, no joke, and they sent me bulletins from previous years. And so I still have a file on my computer that's called Easter Vigils from Other Churches. And this was instrumental (laughs) for us as we worked through introducing this to our congregation, but also just thinking through the logistics, because um, like we've already talked about, there's a lot that goes into this service. And there's a lot of movement and there's, you know, there's a lot of things that don't happen on a typical Sunday morning for this particular service. And so to read the rubrics from other congregations, to look and see which readings they chose, um, how many readings they chose, what music they chose, how many hymns they chose. Sometimes that first page where there's a description of the service that the pastor has written to the congregation. And so um, I think for our congregation, it was hugely helpful to look at congregations who have experiences. You know, why Why try and put together a bulletin? And yes, the altar book is there and it is a wonderful resource and it has everything you need, but to actually see bulletins and have conversations with musicians and pastors who can give practical advice just for how to make it all work <laughs> together. Um, like for us, our biggest thing, um, and we actually had rehearsal for it, the dressing of the altar. We had... Oh, yes, we were in that, and there there were some people who were really nervous about it, you know, because well, we haven't done it, and mm-hmm. and everyone's watching. It's not like you know, altar guild usually does their thing when no one else is in the building, and now they're doing it, and the whole congregation <laughs> is watching,
0: and so, and you have like a time yeah, limit too. Like it can't yeah, take it because hour.
2: you know that the the, um, the the bells can only. I mean, they could peel forever,
0: but yeah, you got to go. Um, and, and so
2: we. We looked to other congregations. We had a lot of conversations. We had rehearsal, not just for the musicians, but basically for everybody, right down to the person who was dimming the lights and turning the lights on, because it just made everybody feel more confident trying something new. And we we did a lot of educating in terms of talking in Sunday school, talking to Bible classes, putting it in the newsletter, you know, explaining what to expect, and also being very forthright and saying, This is our first attempt. And so, you know, there might be things that don't go according to plan or maybe aren't as smooth as we would like them to be. This is new for everybody, including your pastor and your musician. And so I think there was a whole lot of grace going on every direction and we got through it and the first one wasn't perfect, but then right after we had rested a couple of days. Our first meeting back was let's take the bulletin and make notes for next year. So we're not next year going, Now what happened? Ooh, and mm. so we were very proactive in creating the bulletin and putting everything together. But then we also were very intentional about the week after to say, okay, what went well, what needs changing, how might we change it next year? So that way next year we had those notes to go off of and the second year was much, much smoother. Because there, Cause there was a learning curve. You know, it wasn't it wasn't in mm-hmm. that Congregation's tradition of of having a vigil. Mm
4: -hmm.
0: There's a lot of moving parts, and also having a rain plan if you plan on doing your fire outside because it (laughs) might (laughs) rain. That Uh happened one year; we had to all move inside, and it was fine. We all know what we were doing, and and Uh all was good. And wind—that's the other thing. There was there was. Remember that oh wind. I think that was the
2: year that Luther was. Or Luther Luther was was holding holding the candle, candle, and the Paschal candle it kept going out. It wouldn't light. (laughs) I remember that. Yeah.
1: So yeah. Whoops. We just
0: have a windshield.
1: (laughs) I love what you say. uh, A line I want to come back to just briefly. You said everything you need is in the altar book.
0: Mm -hmm. That
1: even though this is not a tradition that is universal in Lutheran churches, it is nonetheless a Lutheran tradition. It's there. Mm -hmm. It's waiting for you. You don't have to feel like, oh, well, is that really Lutheran? It is, I
0: promise. Yes. Lutheran. It is. (laughs) (laughs) If it's in the altar book, it's legit.
4: (laughs) So actually, that's one more question. What other church bodies celebrate Easter Vigil? Oh, yeah. Do Catholics still celebrate it? You said you mentioned Orthodox. Orthodox. The the one that I went to in Chicago was um, Anglican. Okay.
1: And I'm sure there are other, some other, you know, like if there are, I, and I, I'm just going off the top of my head here, but there are some, you know, Presbyterians who are more into the, you know, liturgical tradition and, mm-hmm. you know, there, there are, there are other church bodies that do it and all the oldest ones do. Well, and I just okay. like in thinking of
2: vigil, and maybe this is backtracking a little bit to something we talked about earlier, but in thinking about what vigil is, you know, you're keeping watch, you're waiting and our society is incredibly, increasingly instant gratification and I want things now right and so so it's also just this opportunity to practice waiting and being still and you know like we know easter's coming but just this idea of you know turning your phone off for the whole service which is longer than a regular sunday morning service and just being in god's house and just sitting in that pew and just absorbing everything about this service in in some ways personally speaking, it helps prepare me for what's coming the next yep. morning. It changes my mm-hmm. my focus. It changes just my general mindset, especially as an organist, you know, up until Easter Vigil, and Sarah can attest to this, I am running around that church, setting up music stands and <laughs> printing bulletins and solving last minute problems. And then Vigil comes and it's just like, oh, I'm here. We get to wait yep. together.
3: Well, and I think like, Mm-hmm. The liturgy of it all and the readings, particularly, all kind of shore up Easter Sunday. Like, mm-hmm. God is a redeemer. He he loves and redeems his people. We read this throughout scriptures, and the ultimate example of that happens on Easter Sunday. So I think it adds it adds a little oomph to the whole entire deal because, I mean, this is who God is. And these are all stories that we can reflect on to be mindful of that. Yeah, and it is a lesson
0: in patience. You do have to come to the service prepared to sit and listen and and be present during the service that is much longer and very different. And there there are if you're not in the choir or you're not reading, there's long sections where you're just you're just sitting there. Fruit um, snacks. But it's but it's good, <laughs> and that that brings up uh, a question Rachel asked about how to prepare a a, a church to receive this, how should how can individuals, either adults or children, prepare themselves and be ready to receive this kind of service that is so different?
2: I think the more a congregation has a vigil and goes through a vigil, the more natural that becomes. I know initially, again, we did a lot of Mm -hmm. teaching Um, in Sunday school, you know, like Sarah, you mentioned some of these canticles You know, the refrains are so simple. I spent weeks teaching the refrains of the canticles to the Sunday school children so that there would be something familiar and something that they could participate in even if they weren't able to read yet and kind of letting them know what to expect. And so I love your idea, Sarah, of taking the bulletin home to use as devotions after vigil. But I think it's also important, particularly for congregations who haven't experienced a vigil and always when children are involved, to educate, to talk about, to prepare so that they come into the service knowing what to expect, because I think that helps guide the listening. I think that helps, um, especially with children, um, helps them to focus better on what's
1: happening. Uh, well, so the, that, that actually sounds better than my first thought of responding to Sarah's question was <laughs> read the uh, scripture from the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus asks the disciples to watch and pray and they all fall asleep. And then tell your children, Think you can do better? <laughs> I love it. Because <laughs> you have an invitation wow. in this service to watch and pray and mm-hmm. hopefully not fall asleep. <laughs> mm-hmm. But you're right, that preparation, that knowing what to expect, the feeling that even while it is new and fresh, it is also familiar, I think is key, especially for young people to participate mm-hmm. fully.
2: And I think part of it, you know, is somewhat individual. you know, if, if this is your first vigil, you might comp like I'm again, like the first time I experienced vigil, I'm pretty sure I was you know sitting with my jaw on the floor the whole time. <laughs> and again, like I don't for as many vigils as I've been to, I don't think it ever lessens. It's always just this whoa moment that happens. And I think it is different for everybody. I know some people, like, and I remember talking about this in some of my coursework, some people, you know, in, in practicing various Lenten disciplines and, you know, fasting is a part of Lent. And some people have the tradition of you have communion on Holy Thursday, and then you fast until vigil. And so the last thing you have is communion. And then you break the fast with communion at vigil all those days later, not saying that that's Mm -hmm. for everyone, not saying that, you know, you know, but for some people, that's very—that's
1: really cool. Yeah. yeah, here's a piece of <laughs> advice from one woman of a certain age to any other women of a certain age who are out there: make sure you take yourself and all the children to the bathroom before you get into the pew. Mm,
0: because yep. it sounds yeah. like you will. Uh, it'll be a while, and taking potty breaks is totally fine. I've been there. Oh,
3: good. All <laughs> right, I think great bounds, Rachel. I could maybe <laughs> oh, do vigil friend.
1: if it is socially acceptable to. <laughs>
0: Uh-huh. Take oh yeah! A oh yes. Also, snacks. If you're one that gets like hangry, or you like can't can't concentrate if it goes too long and you haven't had any food, bring bring a bag of, of gummy worms or something. I don't Gold know. Goldfish. It's, it's totally it's <laughs> totally fine. curious <laughs> Especially if you're in the choir and you're up in the balcony anyway, nobody knows. No, so join no. the choir.
1: <laughs> join the <laughs> choir and enjoy your snacks, <laughs> judgment free. <laughs>
3: I love it. Spoken like people in, in the choir and not directors of the choir. <laughs> <laughs> this was super fun and educational. And I have a, a mm-hmm. deep appreciation now for what Easter Vigil is. And I'm very excited to be experiencing this for the first time. <gasps> this is your first one? Tomorrow.
0: tomorrow. I'm so excited for you, Bree. Oh, yeah, I guess tomorrow. tomorrow. Yes, this is and dropping on Good Friday, tomorrow. so tomorrow is Easter Vigil for people who listen to this immediately when it drops on good
3: friday got it i know i do hopefully
0: hopefully everyone has already gone to church before they listen to our podcast about where
2: you'll have to let us know your thoughts after you've experienced a
3: vigil i will report back yes
1: yes oh and if you have a link to matt's sermon i'm sure we would love i would love to hear seminarian grzevsky preach on zephaniah
3: I can make that happen too. That is going to be amazing. You got it, fam.
0: (laughs) I will also share the link to a village in Ladue because that is a vigil that I will be at. That's the one that my husband is uh, participating in as part of the men's choir that will be singing at ours. So I will also publish that link. And I highly encourage anybody who knows of another Easter vigil to, even if you can't physically be at one this year, and that's fine. That is one of the blessings of COVID is that we have all of these opportunities to experience services that are totally new. So if if you want to like dip your toe in, but not have to be like in the church, you don't totally know what's going to happen, or you have little kids that need to be in bed, find a service online and watch it. And then maybe next year is the year that you go and be in person. Can we maybe open a thread in our Facebook group yes.
1: that will yes. allow anyone who has an Easter vigil service to share a link so that those who don't have it can check it out and have a variety of choices to see how different or you could watch them all back to back yes. after Easter,
0: yes, or <laughs> at the same time, all night vigil. Just watch all of them on Facebook. All there day you on. go. <laughs> wow, nice. Emmy, do you have any final words? Anything that we didn't talk about before we wrap up our time the together? The service is worth. Attending, and I think that we didn't even begin
2: to skim the surface of all that it encompasses in in this wonderful service. So I cannot say enough. Go to vigil.
1: (laughs) Just go to vigil. Yes. Go to vigil.
0: I agree. Ladies, we will talk more about uh, all of those Easter services in our Facebook group this coming week because we are all going to be celebrating Easter this weekend. And hopefully, most of us will be in person this year after last year of. A weird oh. covid year so i know i'm looking forward to easter in a whole different way this year and i'm sure all of the, the rest of you are as well so join our community on facebook in the lutheran ladies lounge we can have our camaraderie i'm sure we'll have lots of easter themed posts this week we are also on instagram now so you can find us yeah. at that lutheran ladies lounge on instagram for all of those posts and content and you can also find the four of us hosts on there as well if you want to follow us too but anyway okay you can <laughs> you can find all of our podcasts at kfuo.org slash lutheran ladies lounge or on your favorite podcasting app Emmy, i never thanked you for being here thank you so much for joining us on the podcast <laughs> Emmy. this was, fun. was super fun it was Thanks for fitting us in. I think your schedule is like super crazy, so I'm very glad we found a time I that we could make it to the <laughs> You're listening to the Lutheran Ladies Lounge podcast. I'm Sarah. I'm Erin. I'm Bree, and I'm Rachel.